The vote is being repressed. This is evil. This is wrong. The Republicans have to stop. I'm terrified. Listen to me, Republicans. Listen. You are the people in history they warned us about. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth. Or we'll <laughs> Welcome to the Ruthless Variety Program. Uh, we are the people that we've that you've been warned about. I mean, that to me, that is so apt. It's just very telling of what we're dealing with today. Is there is a very, and I'm hoping, small minority of people who are just incredibly unhinged and loud. It's a mel- and like mental that's, that, that explains like every facet of our of our lives now at this point. And, perfor- like, and performatively, mad, that's it, right? Like, um, I saw this clip. It's come from Libs of TikTok. It's a great account if you ever want to check it out to see <laughs> lunatic leftists losing their minds. Um, but like that that video is is from this woman, like holding a phone to her face as she loses her mind. You know, performatively, right? Like yeah. getting performatively upset. Like she's about. Like she's been off her meds for three days, and then is like, "I'm going to record this. The world needs to see this, right?" <laughs> well, they do need to see it, and I'm glad that we have it for the lead of the program. You're grabbing a bourbon. I can see you. Yes. Um, but it's a perfect opener for today's program because we have a whole bunch of like lib gone wild type stuff. Yep. That we are going to be covering. Uh, not limited to the stuff you've seen on Rogan and everything else. We're going to cover it all here. But we also have a incredibly good guest. She's running for governor of the great state of Arizona. Karen Taylor, Taylor Robson is uh, is with us today. I think you'll enjoy that. I didn't know that we had actually met her daughter previously uh, in, a, in an event in Nevada. Was she flagged during the interview, Smug? Oh, oh uh, at the Christmas party. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, at the Christmas party. The reach of the program. The reach of the program, exactly. Um, And we have a great sponsor. You are very familiar with their work. They uh, were the subject of our first deep dive that we did over the summer and have been a sponsor of the program before where they they let us play games. Yes, it's the best kind of sponsor. So this is the American Federation for Children. Yeah, so uh, we're going to play another game today. Uh, and yeah. you know, listeners to the Variety program may remember some previous iterations of this game. The game is called Guess the School Choice Hypocrite, which is, of course, sponsored by the American Federation for Children, the nation's largest school choice advocacy organization, fighting to elect state policymakers and helping pass school choice laws in states so that all families can have the freedom to choose the best K-12 through education for their kids. You can follow AFC on social media at School Choice Now. And they have a new education freedom pledge that voters, lawmakers, and candidates need to sign at edfreedompledge.com. I've said it before. I will say it again. Go there, edfreedompledge.com. I think it's very important. You saw all the success we had in Virginia in the gubernatorial race. Yep. 
through you know parents getting involved in their school boards. Totally. We need to keep that energy going across the country, hold our politicians accountable to school choice, make it part of their platform, make it core to their platform. Okay, you can also text Ruthless to 73218 to learn more about school choice in your state. Um, so now on to the game. Great stuff. Great stuff. The game. Uh, I'm going to read a clue, then Smug and Holmes uh, have to choose uh, from one of the multiple choice options. And this is this is always part of their, their ad. I think we're over so far. I mean, you're not great at this game. No, it's tough. It, because, because it's because a very difficult the game. The hypocrisy is insane. Yeah. It, it's very difficult. Uh Hopefully, you guys can rectify that today. I hope so. With our latest clue. The clue is as follows. Which United States senator in 2019, when being questioned by a mom about why this senator opposed school choice, yet sent their own kids to private schools, interrupted the mom? And the senator said, no, my children went to public schools. (laughs) In fact, the senator sent their son to private schools. The Uh. senator's campaign later admitted that in fact that was the case. <laughs> I think I remember this happening. <laughs> I think I remember it too. So this is multiple choice. So I I've got some quick deduction that I can make. Uh, but let's hear the choices. Okay. Multiple choice. Here are the the three senators: Al Franken, okay. Elizabeth Warren, okay, Chris Murphy. Okay. Can I talk this through? I'll I'll lock in my guess. You secret guess. Right. Secret guess. You go. Okay. All right. Smug Locked has submitted in. his secret guess. Okay. So the first one is going to be pretty easy for me because I I am virtually certain that Al Franken resigned prior to 2019. Did Jill Brown get him by then? I think she got him. Do you remember that like, they all hated her for that? Yeah. Yeah. We still do. I think. <laughs> yeah. They still do. Which is a hilarious backdrop. It's great. It was the Weinstein stuff and all the height yeah. of the Me Too deal, and then and then she aces them and they hate her. Yeah, it's like, like oh. we're all for holding people accountable, except for our side. Yeah, our libs are good. Yeah. Our libs are good. So I, I take Frank and I. So really between Warren and Murphy, and there are a couple of things. <sighs> so okay, the past tense for me. Okay, when. No, my children went to public schools. I'm, I'm, I have no idea how old these people's kids are, but I'm saying that Chris Murphy is young enough. Oh, young enough where he's their his kids are probably not done with school. Okay. See, I thought the approach you would take is was Murphy in cycle in 2019. Well, that that's a good one too. That's a good one too. Um, so I, anyway, that, that leads me to Elizabeth Warren because Franken was not there. Murphy, I don't think has kids old enough to be in the past tense in school in 2019. Anyway, Elizabeth Warren is my guess. Smug's guess was Elizabeth Warren as well. You are both correct. Let's hey, go. all right. We really turned it around there. We went turned it around. Yeah. Oh, for two. I mean, then- I think this was like, that was such a magical primary where like the Dems were just <laughs> looking like such idiots. Like all of them deserve to lose. And there were just so many unforced errors, especially from Elizabeth Warren, who, who probably could have had more unforced errors than anybody on the campaign well, it, trail. And it goes back to something you've said a ton of times, Smug, which is exceptionally true, which is like most of these Democrats don't actually get questions like this 
until they're in a competitive primary, right? Like a primary for president. And they're like deer in the headlights because now fin- finally they have to answer some tough questions, yeah. right? Yeah. right? Usually it's just like stenographer work, <laughs> yeah. you know? You love to see it. You love to see it. And you love a love American Federation for Children who are doing the Lord's work across this country. Again, text 73218. Text Ruthless to that, and you'll get all the download about what's happening in your community. Fellas, should we read some five stars? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, This first one comes from Florida Wordsmith, uh, entitled, I Almost Wrecked My Car. (laughs) (laughs) I love this one. My Thursday Meals on Wheels route, a great great cause. Just a good Samaritan, right? Yeah. Great cause. My Thursday uh, Meals on Wheels route is always made just a little bit more enjoyable because of your show. Today, however, I almost drove into the ditch because I was laughing so hard. Never have the musical stylings of Tony Orlando and Dawn been put to better use. Seriously, I almost dumped a truck full of low-sodium, easily (laughs) digestible meals all over the well-maintained roads of Central Florida. Thankfully, tragedy was averted, and I managed to pull over and laugh for at least 10 minutes. Love the show, gentlemen, and tell Ashbrook he has a very sexy voice. Oh, I'd love to hear that. You know, I'm, I'm the only thing that I'm... Uh, Ashbrook's not with us in studio today to hear that. Yeah. I, yeah. He would have enjoyed uh, such a compliment. He's he, read his own compliments on the five stars before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the point, so I saw a... Uh, was it a five? I think it was a five star. That someone was like, are Smug and Ashbrook beefing? And I was like, that's the funniest thing. This is why we need to start getting our video podcast. Yeah. And everyone could see, like, we're literally recording having a great time with a bottle of bourbon. Like, this is what a bar should have looked like. <laughs> well, and not everybody's year. totally familiar with how the fellas get along. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's not by complimenting each other. I can give you that. No. <laughs> I mean, trolling is a form of friendship. No, yeah, but it was just bullying. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We got one more. You want to dig that one now? Okay. This is from Hillary. That intro. Say nothing more. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, you know, I, I mean, I got a lot of texts. Yeah. Uh, after after the old knock on the pipes, you know, uh, knock three times uh, intro. People really seem to enjoy it. And a lot of credit to you, Duncan, for producing that thing. Can we submit it to the Grammys? Like, I think that should be for musical yeah. consideration. I mean, I feel like Tony Orlando would have a few things to say about that. But I think <laughs> for the most part. For the and, most part. And our good, uh, our good friend of the program, Megan Kelly, played it on her show. Oh, I heard that. Yeah. Yeah, I heard yeah. that she played it on her show. God bless her. Yeah, no, she's the best. Oh, man. Well, we had a lot of fun doing it. As you can tell, I mean, look, I think the secret sauce is we have a lot of fun doing yeah. all of this stuff. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and it's a hell of a lot more fun than trying to talk through this miserable bunch of news as is. But let's try to do our best with it. Um, should we start with the Olympics? Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we have a, a sound file, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, while he's queuing up the sound file, let me just say... I'm one of those, like, ride-or-die Olympic guys. Really? Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of conservatives out there who look at it like it's in China. They don't want to watch it. I understand that entirely. I totally get it. But, like, any – and I've said this about all sports. If you can put USA on the front of your shirt, I will watch and go berserk. Right? That even includes soccer. I fucking hate soccer. I can't watch it. I don't think it's a real sport. But I will root like hell and like during the World Cup or something if the United States is ever in it. I'm not sure that they still play. But either way, that is like a thing for me. So the Olympics, I don't care where you're curling or jump, whatever it is. See, see for I get me, like it. normally I, I think that like uh, the Winter Olympics are, are pretty much trash. 
like you know compared to the summer olympics the winter olympics are trash yeah winter olympics i think they're always trash that's outrageous and and i'm like you know if i needed like one fewer reason to watch is the chinese communist party it's like the hell with that and plus how nbc has been so hard in the paint of like Oh, actually, uh, the Uyghurs are fine. Like Savannah Guthrie goes out and she's like, yeah, yeah well, we got to cover all that. Dunk. We got to cover all that. But we start with Nancy Pelosi's comments to our athletes on the way out of town. We have I that. I would say to our athletes, you're there to compete. Do not risk incurring the anger of the Chinese <laughs> government because they are ruthless. Wow. I know there is a temptation on the part of some to speak out while they are there. I respect that, but I also worry about what the Chinese government might do. Are you kidding me? That's where we are now. Not not ruthless in the variety program type way. Ruthless she she's talking about actual fear for our athletes. And let me just ask the question. If if the speaker of the house who is subject to you know, the, the, the highest level of intelligence briefings is telling our athletes not to speak out, not to express their values. Why the hell are they sending them there in the first place? Exactly. That's a very good point. I mean, I just I, I just don't get it. Like, what is she doing? D- don't incur the anger of China. That's where we are as the United States of America. We don't want to incur right. the anger of another country by expressing our va- Fuck you. Right. <laughs> I mean, maybe her like stock portfolio would take a hit, you know, where she's invested. She's like, folks, I got a hedge fund to run. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to screw things up. But I'm just I was truly blown away by that. And the fact is, we didn't hear anything about that all weekend long. There were no comments, no Sunday shows, nothing. Nobody even picked it up as a conversation worth having. Is it appropriate for the Speaker of the House to tell American athletes traveling, representing their country, that they can't represent their country's values? It's like, shut up and skate. I mean, just don't bring up genocide. What's so hard about that, guys? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't even think that's what it is, right? It's. It, I think it says so much. I think... Uh, our country has lost so much stature on the global stage where we're like, God knows what they do to our people. You know, Americans can no longer be assured that they are safe, you know, globally. Look at look at the pullout in Afghanistan. You know, we still have folks who are left behind in that disastrous withdrawal by Biden. And now at the point where, well, you know what? Uh, I think Americans should just shut up because China, right. China, China's right. not that's, to be trifled with. That's the thing, Smug, is, is the idea that China could be emboldened to take action against our Olympic athletes during the Olympics in their country without the fear of a reprisal. It, that like that's we, it. That like we, we have to preemptively shut up. That's it. Yeah. That's it. As if there was ever a suggestion that a country, I don't care what country it is in this world, could do something to one of our athletes competing in the Olympics right. and they wouldn't have all hell rain down on them. Yeah. Right? I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. What... what, what if that is the case, that we are sincerely in a situation where we fear that something our athletes might say would offend another country and therefore and put themselves in danger under the custody of the United States in the Olympics, we are a hell of a lot worse off than That's right. thought we were. To quote Walter Sobchak from uh, uh, The Big Lebowski, the Supreme Court has, has, has uh, roundly rejected prior restraint <laughs> in free speech matters. <laughs> roundly rejected. I just, I mean... It is because of people like Nancy Pelosi that we are in this situation in the first place. Yep. Yeah. It really is. I can't imagine a scenario 
anywhere under any president, and that even includes Barack Obama, who was a miserable president, where you would be telling your athletes to be careful of what you might say during an Olympic Games when the world is watching. I mean, uh, what is the point of, of, of the Olympics if the international community would choose to have an Olympics there and you can't express your free speech? Like yeah. it, it reflects just as poorly on the Olympics itself as it does on Nancy Pelosi. And for good reason, a Dutch reporter, this is from a Guardian story, a Dutch reporter was dragged away by a Chinese security guard while broadcasting live on the Olympics opening ceremony. You know, I saw that clip. Yeah. And I didn't get it. Like, I don't. Was there any follow up on why that happened? Because it wasn't like they were doing a, a particularly antagonistic report. I think it was just like given the medal count and all of a sudden they dragged this guy away. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, like, uh, this is so insane to me that China's allowed to host these games in the first place when we know for a fact, indisputably, that the Chinese government was covering up uh, the COVID breakout. They stopped all domestic flights to, to stop the spread within their country, but allowed international flights because they just don't care. And there you have faced zero repercussions for any of that. Uh, you know, it, it was called racist to be like, maybe this escaped from a lab. You know, they were attacking Ra- racist by our own American media, yeah. American media, a media that still covers for this communist Chinese regime. NBC itself during yeah, the yeah, opening right there, ceremony, NBC, uh, Savannah Guthrie saying um, this is during the, the opening ceremony where China used a Uyghur athlete uh, in the uh, in the ceremony anyway. To light the flame. Right, to light the flame. Yeah. Uh, Savannah Guthrie here, quote, This moment is quite provocative. It is a statement from the Chinese President Xi uh, to choose uh, an athlete from the Uyghur minority. It is an in-your-face in response to those Western nations, including the U.S., who have called this Chinese treatment of that group genocide and diplomatically boycotted these games. There will be much discussion about this. Oh, my God. I mean, she's like, wow, Gloria Xi... Showing once again that Western nations are full of shit. It's incredible. It's like it's it, incredible. It's like NBC just became the fact checking department for the communist regime in China. But I but I also think that is it's up to the talent. Like each one of them decides how much water they're going to carry. Right. Right. Because I was watching Mike Tirico at the beginning of it, where they actually put on some Chinese experts and talked about some of this stuff. Yeah. Which I thought sitting in China actually was you know I mean it's a relatively gutsy play, but it's the right play. It's what you should do. Everybody should be in on. The story of China at this point. But then you see Savannah Guthrie go and do something in your face. In your right. face to what? In your face to the United States who's rightly called out genocide? Right. I mean, what? Huh? Like, I, I just don't. I, I fundamentally can't figure out what NBC is doing in this deal. I, I think it's part of the whole, like, my larger unifying theory on the media today of where. So NBC had to pay, I don't know, a ton of money. I think like a billion or something for the rights to broadcast the Olympics. And that's why they need all the advertising revenue and everything. That's why they want to hype it up and make sure that people watch. It's journalistic outlets have completely gone back on any sort of an ethical responsibility to journalism. And it's all just become this like corporatized PR. Right. Like 
across the board, their only intentions, they have zero values. They have no integrity. Right, there is no they mor- believe in nothing. There's no moral clarity to any of None. this. There's no consistency of values. The same thing that they would expect in the United States, they don't apply to the rest of the world. It's moral relativism. It's what it is. It's what it it's is. A, it's, it's a disease that that liberalism has. It, yes. it totally is. I like to think of when we're talking about international competition or war or things like that. I like to think of of journal American journalists, not to say that they have to whitewash stories and change things that aren't happening, but I like to think of them like you know when your home football team they have the announcer, you yeah, know, and yeah. then like he breaks character when your guy br- breaks open an OT and scores yeah. the touchdown and right. he's cheering and yeah. everything like that. I like to think there's an element of that. Yeah, but they're just not with these people. No, they're just not. It's like they just they they positively can't see America as the beacon of freedom in the world that the rest of us do. And they, and they have to get into this sort of moral relativism that you're talking about. It's, it's incredibly disappointing to me. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, like China, it doesn't stop by passing the, the talking points up to Savannah Guthrie. It, it also, they're trying to rehabilitate a number of things. You remember the story of Peng Shui? Yeah. So Peng Shui was a tennis player that, the accused a member of the, the communist party of sexual assault. Yeah. And then promptly went missing for months. Yeah. Right? Got and, some re-education. And then the chairman of the IOC last fall, you recall, had some kind of Zoom call where you could, it's like a proof of life call. Yeah. Where you could assure the world that Peng Shui is fine, nothing to worry about, the games go on. Right? <laughs> you remember this? Yeah. So now Peng Shui gets back into, apparently had a meeting with the chairman of the IR, uh, of the uh, IOC and is is like again talked about no discussion about her allegations about any justice that may come from it uh-huh but just simply that she exists and everything is fine did you guys watch any of this i i saw an act uh the article in axios yeah where where now she's just announcing her retirement and denies all the all the claims oh but funny how that happens she was a world-class tennis player right announcing her retirement yeah. I mean, that's just, that's the end of it? Well, if she retires, they can't ask her the question anymore. And that solves the problem for them. It does. She she's, she she gave it a long and hard thought about her career during that re-education period and decided, you know what, retirement. Weird how that works, right? Remember what happened to the Alibaba guy? Yeah. Dis- I mean, there, there was a rash of cases of Like where- he speaks up a little bit about the communist regime and then suddenly, whoop, yep. disappeared. Yep. And then he comes back and changes his tune. Yeah. <laughs> funny how that works it's just just unbelievable it's unbelievable but you know what it's just an in-your-face statement it's an in-your-face thing you know our media doesn't even have to be disappeared for a couple months to completely tow the communist party (laughs) it's just unbelievable but you you see it from everywhere listen my hope is that we can focus back on the games i i i have some sympathy for the athletes that are caught in the middle of this right because it's not their fault dude these people train their entire lives yeah in these sports, which, like, frankly, are pretty obscure to your average American. Yeah. They don't get the recognition they deserve for a lifetime dedicated to some sport. And this is their, like, one opportunity to shine on the global stage, you know? Yeah. And so then they're caught between this. Yeah. Which is just a shame. And I think, I mean, back to my point, it's like, if you are the Olympics and you are supposed to reflect the, quote, global community of sport, why would you choose to have a games, a games in a place that does genocide. I, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And look, I get that they pick these things years in advance. Right. Right? But changes can be made. 
Yeah. Changes can be made. And more importantly, why don't you just reflect the IOC? It was like they moved the World Series, remember? <laughs> I mean, they moved. Right. Not the, it was the All-Star, the All-Star game, right? Game. The All-Star game. Right. Yeah. Right. We can move the All-Star game because of an election reform bill in Georgia. But fake the, news. But the Yeah, fake news. But NBC has to carry the CCP line on the opening ceremonies, you know, that the Uyghurs aren't being genocided. Like, uh, like, think about that. It goes back to my point on moral relativism, right? Like, these people stand for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No, anyway. It makes me angry. Me too. Me too. I'll tell you what else makes me angry. Uh, everyone in the world has followed this Joe Rogan situation. Yeah. And, look, we have some skin in the game on this one. I, I, because we are colleagues. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we have some skin in the game because any conservative, and it, it, let me just say at the outset, Joe Rogan is not a conservative. Right. Joe Rogan voted for Bernie Sanders. Joe Rogan ha- is not politically affiliated one way or another. He has just had the balls to have open conversations on his podcast with people whose opinions are not the narrative accepted by the liberal gl- glitterati. Right. Right. Things like questioning the effectiveness of vaccines and such. Right. Right. So we saw immediately the left came at him full bore. Right. But this guy, I mean, look, he's got a hundred million dollar contract with Spotify. He's got the most listeners in the history of podcasts. He's a behemoth. So that wasn't enough. There was a full campaign that is put together that is unearthed. And I will say he said it himself, the clips that they put together of him saying the N-word were totally offensive. Right. I mean, to anyone, they were totally offensive. Well, I mean, yeah, but he doesn't defend it. I mean, what his argument is, he's like, look, dude, I'm a comedian. I have like 20 years of content of me saying things that are good, bad, whatever. But like, it's my job to talk. Sometimes I'm going to get stuff wrong. And like our society should be more geared towards, I don't know, like learning from mistakes and grace Instead of uh, punishment. And canceling. And canceling. Yeah. Well, the canceling is what everybody is focused on. Right. Right? The left is focused on this. I wanted to highlight this headline because I think it says everything about everything we're about to talk about. The Associated Press, which is the gold standard, supposedly, of news in this country. Just facts. Right? They just report what's happening. Yeah. What's, you know, this has happened. This is the effect. Here are a couple of quotes. There's your news brief. You're out. They have a headline entitled Rogan's use of racial slurs adds pressure on Spotify (laughs) pressure. That's the whole point. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the associated press is working in concert on this quote unquote pressure campaign against Joe Rogan. That's what it is. Right. I mean, to what you said earlier, it's an, it's a coordinated, organized political hit job. They work their way down uh, t- to see if they can figure, like, almost like, you know, in Jurassic Park, where they're like, the velociraptors are testing the fence for weaknesses. Yeah. And it's like, that that's the way that the, this liberal mob works, is they, they go through stuff. They're like, misinformation. Um, ah, that didn't work. Uh, misogyny. Maybe that'll work. Okay. Uh, the guy said said the N-word, and he's apologized for it, but that's not enough. Right? And it's, they're going to work their way through all of these things until they can put enough pressure on Spotify, again, Hundred million dollar contract, yep. right? 
to get rid of him. And there's a marketplace for Joe Rogan headlines because, as it turns out, he's the most popular podcaster in the entire universe. Right. And see, that's the thing is like it goes back to my unifying theory on the media now of where it's almost like just follow the money here. Right. You look at these media organizations who jump on board because, number one, they're motivated by uh, headline grabbing the same way that they learn from Trump. They're like, you don't have to be uh, reporting news. You don't have to be a reputable news organization. Just use a person's name to try to get clicks. Right. Right. So they've all just become clickbait outlets at this point. Uh, secondly, it's like the, a great majority of these like liberal pressure campaigns are predicated upon the media doing the heavy lifting. Right. Pushing out that right. information. That's what it is. Right. What they what they act, they act like this is just, you know, private companies that make market decisions and the market has spoken. In fact, the inverse is true. The inverse is true. You got these media companies that are losing market share. We see the same thing with Facebook, right? They're losing market share to Facebook the same way that they're losing listenership to Joe Rogan. Like and AP has their own podcast, right? Right. But instead, instead, <laughs> instead of taking Didn't see it on the charts, in, yeah, instead of yeah. taking this as like a moment of reflection of, geez, why has our credibility been so eroded that? The guy with the MMA and ayahuasca podcast who talks about taking drugs uh, has 20 million listeners and, and we don't. Right. Right. Like instead of thinking about that, they're like, all right, how can we deplatform that's this it, guy? That's it. So like that's the problem is like these legacy massive media organizations who have lost all their credibility for things like for years telling the American people that Russia stole an election. Uh, they don't want to reflect on why they're at an all time low of trust what they want to do is they're like, how do we go back to the good old days of having a monopoly on information when you right. had to like own a factory that prints newspapers? That's what it is for people to be able to like, uh, for for you to be a part of the process. Right. They they don't want it that like an individual can express themselves and have opinions. Like, no, we have to be the gatekeepers and decision makers, and it's profitable for them to try and go back to establishing that kind of a monopoly by crushing any competition by any means necessary okay, like, and, the com and the competition of ideas just just to be clear what we're talking about here for example we didn't we didn't cover it in the olympics uh part but i i, I saw the most amazing thing on espn did you see this where one of the hosts i think it was on part of the oh yeah it was a Gande. Gande. yeah Gande. 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 was was, was again moral equivalency uh moral relativism saying you know, the uh, the the voter suppression in the United States is the same. You know, how are we uh, going to how can we complain about the treatment of Uyghurs in China and genocide? You know, when we've got issues with voting rights in the United States, as if those are in any way that even if you take on the face as that being a real thing, which is fucking not. <laughs> how is that the same thing as murdering people and sterilizing people? Of course, it's not. But, you know, ESPN is owned by Disney. Yeah. Disney, right. which has a huge, huge stake in the future of the Chinese market. Yeah. Don't you think they would love to be the only voice out there saying what's okay to criticize the Chinese government about? Absolutely. Fuck yeah, they would. It's it's their entire corporate profit structure. That's right. A hundred percent. That is exactly This thing right. makes me so fucking angry. No, yes, I know, it does. But, but, but it like, makes me so furious because but, they cannot be trusted. These people, these organizations, it's like it, it, it made me so furious years ago when they brought in all those like CEOs from big tech companies. And you had Apple, you had Google, you had Facebook. You've, you've mentioned this And, and they were asked, all, all, all of them were asked, uh, do you think that uh, China is, is a, a threat to the, the Chinese government? Do you think they're a threat to the U.S. government? And uh, Tim Cook from Apple is like, nope. And uh, uh, Pichai from Google is like, nope. And Zuckerberg of Facebook is like, yep. 
And it's like, okay, then then you have the New York Times, which is now attacking Facebook for market share. It's like it, Apple secretly and tries to hide from the public. They signed, what, some like $40, $50 billion deal with the Chinese government? Like the interest that these people have is no longer aligned with the U.S. They're looking 10 years, 20 years forward, and they're betting on China winning right. this showdown. And and they have zero integrity. And they have let no, alone patriotism. But they, they also now have no ability to actually capture the minds and hearts of Americans. Right. Which is their bigger problem. Which is where the media comes Which is in. where we've come back full circle into this AP headline about uh, ads to pressure on Spotify. Yeah. It's not covering the news. Right. What it's trying to do is remove the marketplace. Yep. It's trying to remove your ability to get information from different sources. What it's trying to do is put enough corporate pressure from these weak-kneed corporate CEOs across this country to either stop the advertising right. on this platform. Well, that's the next thing. Right? Or or just stop use of Spotify right. or whatever it is because that is information in their view that you can't process. And it's like Duncan said, he's, he nailed it, is that this is not the marketplace deciding whenever... There's this huge disconnect when you have these like woke mobs with their bullshit, trying to do these pressure campaigns. It's not the public they're speaking for. Right. It's this tiny minority who have God knows what, you know, uh, interests or stake in this situation. Whenever there's like some woke movie or show on TV, it, it does garbage. Like it gets canceled after one season or it makes like laughably right. terrible numbers. And then because and, it's not the then, market and, doesn't want that. Right. And then people write stories about how this reinforces white supremacy that so and so show isn't popular. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then and then spin cycle we do it all over again. Right? It's just like there is no real marketplace of ideas for these people. These people are tyrants. And then part of part of their play with these pressure campaigns is it's just like an extortion campaign. Well that but it's a protection racket is the point. Right? The reason that they're airing these woke, ridiculous things that are canceled in one year is because it's a protection racket. That way they can point to it and be like, oh, I did that. Right. Right? So case in point, the CEO of Spotify, which I'm not going to totally criticize Spotify because up to this point, they've at least stuck by their deal with Joe Rogan when a lot of different places would have caved earlier. Now, that being said, I don't like the direction it's headed because they started removing various episodes, like 70 or so odd, episodes right. of Rogan that they deemed controversial. I haven't gone through it, but I find it very Here, hard to believe. Here's the thing. They are controversial. He has people on who are controversial. That's the point, Because right? we believe in the democracy that the answer to bad speech is more speech. Right. And that you talk to people. And, you, and, people and that's are how, smart. They can right, make up their mind. Right. People can make their own. People aren't fucking automatons, right, who need to be force-fed stuff, um, you know, by the media. Right. Yep. Like like the point of these conversations is the discovery process of Joe Rogan, who sits there and says, all right, well, I disagree with that. Or you're wrong about this or you're right about that. He certainly had people on who are controversial. That's what he does in his show. That's why that's why you listen. But here's where this really took a turn for me <laughs> in a letter. The, the CEO to his own employees, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's just so ridiculous that you have to justify yourself to your own employees. I, that's a segment for another day. But anyway. He said that they will be making an incremental investment of $100 million for licensing, development, and marketing of music, artists, and songwriters, and audio content from, quote, historically marginalized groups. There's the protection money. That's it. Oh, historically marginalized groups. You mean like fucking conservatives? No. 
No, you mean like, that's not going to be because, on the list because I, you know, the most underrepresented. I can't think of a more underrepresented group, marginalized group in the entire current status of our media than conservatives on, on, on any one of these platforms. It's just it's wild to me that the protection racket now has now forced its way in to, to soliciting one hundred million dollars out of Spotify for like who's appointing who? Who, who's appointing this? Dude, it, it reminds me of, you remember the Georgia election law stuff where like they started to lose steam and, and the groups who were, you know, uh, Stacey Abrams group and all of these folks who were basically convinced all these CEOs oh, yeah. to sign that letter to move the all-star game were then like, you know what? Also, um, we're going to have a lawsuit and you're going to pay for court. You corporate companies are going to pay for the lot. My lawsuit. They all had to, they all yeah. had to pony, pony up. up, pass the hat, which is, which is the way. And we've talked a lot about dark money on the left and how that has come to fruition, but that's the way it works. There's no sane person who would ever give these people money. <laughs> and it's like right. when we had a summer of riots and you have all these corporations, being right. Like we are making a grant to this organization, you know, Please don't hit our stores, essentially. Um, but then uh, the New York Post, I think it was last week, has this article about how uh, the founder of the BLM organization that was getting donations from all these corporate groups uh, now has like a, a five or six million dollar real estate portfolio. Yeah. That the group hasn't been like reporting their taxes, that they can't get like so many people have resigned from this organization. Uh they can't even get a board together to decide like what the hell are we gonna do? There's no accounting for like tens of billions of dollars that have been given to this group. And it's it's because this is just this is extortion. It's extortion because nobody's ever it has a great name, Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. Nobody would disagree with that. Right? But also nobody has gone to the point in the mainstream media where they've actually examined what it is that the group stands for. Right? It's a Marxist group. Yeah. It's a Marxist group. Right. right. We now have a street a couple of blocks away from us named after a Marxist group. Right. It has absolutely nothing to do with the statement of Black Lives Matter. Of course, Black Lives Matter. There's nobody that disagrees with that. Right. Right. But they've moved past this in this dumbed down idiocracy of our media system to now embrace anything that the left tells them as a protection racket. Right. So they can continue to do because business. what doesn't it's not that Black Lives Matter as an idea matters to these people anymore what actually matters is fealty to the capitalized black lives matter racket that you're going to have the to vehicle pay. that right. can accept payment exactly that's exactly right and by the way they're on act blue oh weird shocker weird I'm very surprised it's an amazing <laughs> thing that's an amazing thing that they can keep they can accept uh donations on that anyway this whole thing is gonna the reason that we have a big stake in this obviously as all conservatives do is that you're like any moment away from incurring the wrath of these people. We saw Dave Portnoy uh, over the weekend talk about this Rogan thing, and he was concerned about it because he just went through it. He's like, I've seen this play before. Yeah, he yeah. just went through it, right? And he was naming names and people who were responsible for pushing content and information that was negative on him. Why is it that anybody in the political scene would be concerned about Dave Portnoy? Why is it that they would be concerned about Rogan? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they can't control the information that comes out of them. It's like, dude, back to uh, when Politico did that hit, hit piece on us, right? Yeah, exactly. And and that guy, I, I can't remember the guy's name, the dipshit. I think his name thing. was Sally Jesse Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> but like he, his whole beat is this sort of cultural 
uh, like he calls them barstool Republicans. Like that's his beat. Yeah. And and what what scares the hell out of the media, what scares them about Joe Rogan, what scares them about people like Dave Portnoy is this idea that culturally the kids might become conservative, not yeah. directly by reading the federal federalist papers. Right. No. But by listening to Ruthless or following Portnoy on Twitter or listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. Right. That like they might actually lose the next generation of young voters who wake up and realize that the They're liberal like we put in so much right. work taking over academia, right. taking over media, like right. to ensure that our message is, is like indoctrinated early and often. Right. They can't allow people to be like, I. what if I came to my own decisions? Right. I think the difference is the the minions buckle their chin straps. Yeah, I mean that's uh, so 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 my take on this is almost counterintuitive. I think the answer here isn't oh you know uh, uh, leave Rogan alone. People should be allowed to say things. I think it should be vindictive. We, the right should start going after the left in the same way. We should we should be doing pressure campaigns. We should be raising hell. We should have boycotts that have teeth. The same way that the left enforces boycotts that have teeth, like crossing a union picket line is how hard they they enforce their boycotts. Because you're not going to win this one unilaterally disarming. Like if one side's saying, hey, I want to decide what can be seen or heard. I want to decide what media is out there. And the other side says, I just want to be left alone. Who do you think wins that fight? Well, look, I think that's a powerful point. And it's something that we've talked about for years. It's hard to get conservatives to be anti-capitalist, right? right. Anti-market. It just, uh, it, but, but the further piece that underscores it for me is I think we're already doing that. I think that's the reason that Joe Rogan has a hundred million listeners. I think it's the reason that Dave Portnoy is as successful as he is. I think it's the, the reason that somehow the ruthless variety program with the five of us sitting around this table have more listeners than CNN primetime and the 10,000 people that they employ. Well, so, yeah, so there's that's what you're describing, I think, is basically two schools of thought. Like Smug is saying, like, let's fight fire with fire and cancel for, others. Right. For every action and equal and opposite reaction. Right. And that might work. And, and you know, it. I mean, that's, it makes that's sense. the reason mutually assured destruction worked is what? because the cost to play <laughs> yeah. is way too high. Right, right. If we make it so that it's just like, if you try this shit, it's like, oh, God, we do not want to deal with this. The same with the extortion racket works where they're like, oh, I'd rather just pay these people than have to but deal with it. But there is also like the alternative, which is that like the people doing the complaining and the people who are the Karens of society, I think ultimately are the villains of society. And that in the long run, the people who are like that are the people that like people who value democracy and freedom hate the most they hate the most. And so like you could there's I guess there's an argument to say you could win. I know what you're saying, Smug, where like you don't unilaterally disarm in, in the marketplace. Because of also this it's stuff. like there's now a template for them to kind of like uh, uh, but Joe Rogan have a get, siege and, and storm the castle where they're like, OK, well, right. they're going to try every avenue of how this is bad. Like, I guess what I'm saying is, this is, but Joe, is this Joe, person racist. But Joe like, Rogan didn't get 20 million listeners by saying we need to cancel so and so or so and so or so and so. Right. Like he did it because he was just himself and they're going after him. And like I mean, the thing yeah. is that there's a there's a there's a playbook in place that they follow where it's like first they're going to try. Uh, this pressure campaign, then they're going to go after advertisers, right. then they're going to go after payment processors, and they're going to go after the web hosting oh, yeah. company. Right. Like no, they know look, look. How, how to how to make sure 
someone is silenced. They go all the way. I, like, think, I think I, I want this. Like the left doesn't stop at winning an election. The left wants uh, them their opponents silenced. The left wants people put out of a job. So so I mean in that like they want their families broke and suffering. I for did, crossing them. I did I did a interview here for the Variety program with Martine who runs Right Forge. Um, you know, which is a, you know, web and hosting company that's going to be hosting, you know, Trump's social media platform. Um, and I mean, that's one of the points we had, which is that the back end infrastructure of the Internet is a target for these pressure campaigns. At some point, we've seen it over and over and over again. Um, and so, I mean, the Republican Party, the conservative movement needs to recognize that, like, we need to harden our own inf- infrastructure on the Internet for a point in time where these platforms could be pressured at the root, right? Like I'm not talking right. at the root where, where, where these pressure campaigns don't say, okay, well just like remove some old episodes. They're like, no, you can no longer publish. Right. Yeah. And that's the scary part about the future. And it's also a really good segue to our next big story on today's program. Uh, on Friday, GoFundMe ended the fundraiser for the Canadian truckers protesting the federal government's vaccine mandates for cross-border truckers. Incredible. Citing, quote, evidence from law enforcement that the previous peaceful demonstration has become an occupation, end quote. This is from a Fox News story. The crowdfunding platform initially announced that the roughly remaining $9 million, $9 million, $9 million raised would be given to organizations approved by Freedom Convoy organizers and verified by the site instead of refunding the donations. Now, Senator Ted Cruz is demanding an F- FTC launch an investigation into GoFundMe for seizing the truckers' convoy's funds. Back to your point, Smug. This is the future fight that we have. Yeah. Yep. Right? We're at the root of the internet, payment processors, right? Hosting servers that these the government either the government or the liberal establishment decides you no longer get the money the money raised for your cause think right. of that that's i mean that's happening. why that's why i think there's so much utility i think the utility in, in crypto and in bitcoin is it cuts out any sort of a decision making process transferring any sort of 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 funds there where it's like here the left knows, okay, we're going to go after advertisers. We're going to go after payment processors. We're going to try to make sure that this person is penniless for their opinions. Where if you, it, like what scares them the most is is the democratization right. of, of all of it. Right. Of, of who is allowed to speak, of where the money comes from. Because they, they, they have to survive on, on a structure where the corporations, it's so crazy how quickly the, the left became just a completely owned subsidiary subsidiary of corporations where they're like, right. Hey, you know, actually corporations are the good guys. Like you have to pay us the money and like you have to, you know, uh, uh, trust these corporations like, or else it's misinformation. It's incredible how quickly this <laughs> happened. It is incredible to think that these activists basically use the, you know, corporations, uh, as part of this protection racket. And then they go to the media and try to get them to dismantle the opposition. And everybody just looks at that and they're like, well, you know, there's just uh, there's just mis- misinformation that's out there. You know, like that is the new Trojan horse of our democracy, right? It it's, is. It's absolutely incredible. So back to the story here. So Ted Cruz demanding this F- FTC launch an investigation. He says, quote, because when people gave money, they gave money under the promise it would go to the Freedom Convoy, not to whatever left wing political ideology GoFundMe and other Silicon Valley companies support. They are deceiving consumers and it is wrong. It's 100% right. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, hundred percent right. I, I I would I would point out that GoFundMe 
had no problem promoting on their own Twitter handle, mind you. This isn't just something hosted on their platform. A tweet from GoFundMe promoting a fundraiser for CHOP. Remember CHOP, the occupation of that neighborhood in Seattle where people were murdered? Yeah, GoFundMe was promoting that. Here's the, the tweet from GoFundMe. In a community with no police, this farmer is feeding people and bringing them closer together. Oh, my God. Learn how you can support Marcus's mission within the CHOP. A link to his GoFundMe page. That's from their GoFundMe's Twitter account. And the same way that Kamala was promoting a bail fund, a, a bail fund, which right. let out people who went on. To was that on assaults. GoFundMe Dude, too? Dude, they had bail funds on there for the Minnesota rioters. On um, which, which people, as we have always said, who were let out and reoffended. Yep, violent yeah. crime. And 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 again, it goes back to the whole the whole like moral relativism of these people. Is like if your principle is. That when the government or the police say something is no longer lawful and you have to take it down from your website, okay, I, 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 I guess I could, I could get to like if that's going to be yeah, your right. official policy as a payment platform, okay. If a crime's committed, if a crime's committed, right. okay, we can no longer host it, okay. Um, people were murdered and shot. Yep. Uh, these rioters uh, who went to jail. Um, you know, we're throwing Molotov cocktails. They tried to burn down a police station. You still hosted fundraisers for them. So what is your actual principle here? Nothing. All that matters is that the corporate media and the liberal activists are happy, happy that you can target conservatives like they're a terrorist organization and rip them out root and stem. Yeah, it's, these people, they have no integrity. They have no values. They, they support these causes because they think it's like these luxury beliefs that they can hold because right. they're they're not they're not going to be subject to them like defund the police yeah you know right they it, risk nothing they in risk saying nothing, that. nothing right nothing. It's behind their gated community but it's all it's also an invented reality I need another drink the the invented reality that these people live in is honestly not it doesn't exist in this real world no right I mean it, they talk about these problems as if they were like Stacey Abrams has created this discussion about how there's all this voter suppression across the country. Never mind the fact that in the last two elections we've had record turnout. Yeah. Right? More people voted in 2020 than ever before. They keep talking about voter suppression as if it is a thing that exists in the real world. And they get they solicit these contributions in an effort to combat voter suppression. They have all of these these legislative proposals that quote unquote combat voter suppression they call them voting rights which is the most offensive thing i can think of all of it is not real it's not real it doesn't exist there is not a single person who is disenfranchised by our current system of voting in this country that would be re-enfranchised by anything that these people are talking about it doesn't stop them at all they end up shaking down the coca-colas right and the deltas and all the all the places that ended up giving all of this money to try to fund their effort and then they use it what do they use it to do they used it to try to stop Americans from having voter ID at the polls. Right. To try to incentivize Democratic Party activist organizations to go out and, and gather ballots together, to go to apartment building, yeah. buildings and force, like in the same way that they used to in the Chicago in the 1950s, right. basically shake people down to tell them you better vote the right way. And I'm going to collect it at your door. Right. So I'm going to see who you voted for. I'm going to do all that. And then I'm going to walk my, me. I'm going to, as uh-huh. as the precinct captain of this, 
Right. I'm going to vote your, your right. I'm going to walk It's your like Tammany Hall, dude. It's like Tammany this is, Hall. This is exactly the system in place in New York City when there's petitioning. Like this yeah. is the dem machine in action and this is what they want to fund and, when it comes at the ballot. But that's process. what all of this is about. That's what it's about. That's what it, it is it's about shaking down. You can't have voices of dissent. You can't have free thought in this country. You have to invent narratives that simply don't exist. And then you have to raise as much money by knee-buckling corporate America as you possibly can to try to fund this mythical cause. And also right. the like, ab- the absolute disdain that these people have for the working class of where they're like, man, F these truckers. Like, uh, don't I- they understand? I'm fine, you know, in in my in my uh, Brooklyn apartment writing these takes as, <laughs> as, as a journalist and, and, and t- you know, I, I'm fine with kids having to wear masks because they're the least susceptible group. Meanwhile, you know, I don't have a problem with Stacey Abrams taking her mask off around kids. Like, it makes zero sense. None of this is grounded in any sort of reason. It's just disdain and power and control. That's all these people It's are a after. perfect segue into what you've all undoubtedly seen by now, which is the picture of Stacey Abrams sitting in front of a classroom of children. All of these very young children masked up i can see like the kid in the front row you can barely see out of his glasses because his his mask is over it all these like just i mean it, it makes me so sick and then she's sitting there with a big smile on her face no mask at all that is to me the epitome of the modern left yeah the epitome of the modern left she she if if what about that picture makes any sense from a leftist covid policy standpoint right because, I mean, core to their, their COVID policy today is that those children are in grave danger. They're in grave danger because they can't be vaccinated. Bear in mind, their risk of hospitalization and death from COVID is like 0.001, right? Yeah. Um, but Stacey Abrams, somebody who would support a policy to keep those kids in masks, feels totally comfortable snapping a picture where she's maskless next to them, right? <laughs> What's the science there? It's, that's the thing. is it's, it's the same thing as when you had AOC at the Met Gala where she's not wearing a mask, you know, hamming it up for the cameras, but you see all the help has right. to wear cameras. Or, or wear or masks. Or masks, yeah. All of them, like, uh, uh, carrying her dress. Right. Uh, carrying the, the train, room. carrying the literal train to her dress. Yeah. Like wearing a mask. Marie Antoinette. All of them. And, and, and that's the thing. It's like the whole uh, rules for thee, not for me, where right. they're like, of course... We want to have uh, uh, everyone else follow the rules. Like, why would you ask that of us? It's insane. And that the media is so uncritical of these people that they don't see there's some sort of like, what's the problem here? Is there not some inherent hypocrisy in this? Well, that's the best part. The Washington Post covers this. They cover it because, I mean, obviously it was impossible to miss. Every conservative that I, I know was jumping ugly on this thing online over the weekend. And the Was- How does the Washington Post cover it? It's not about her not wearing a mask or... You know, her hypocrisy and all that. GOP rivals seize on Stacey Abrams' maskless classroom photo as campaign calls criticism silly. We're seizing. Seizing. Right. It has nothing to do with the hypocrisy itself. Right. The story isn't that it is the hypocrisy of her taking this photo. Right. The story is our reaction to it. I'm old enough to remember like a a few days ago when they jumped on Glenn Youngkin for not wearing a mask in a grocery store. And that was and that and that was printed as like he's not wearing a mask. Oh, confronted. He's confronted. He's confronted. confronted. Mind you, there is no mask mandate in Virginia. Right. He is not required by any law. 
certainly not a law that he would support in the first place, to wear a mask. Right. Right. But, but that person is a hero. Yeah. A hero for being a psychopathic lunatic. And this is GOP seizes. Right. It seizes. I mean, look, it's time to become ungovernable on this Yes. Stuff. It really is. I mean... They will rub our noses in it, in their hypocrisy, as long as we are willing to tolerate it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and look, we the, the tide is turning on COVID. The tide is turning. You're watching, you know, former liberals basically wake up and say, okay, enough is enough. My kid has been in a mask for two and a half years. Show me some science. Show me there's some science. None. There's none. There's none that, that exists. That makes sense for that to continue going. Because scientists there is know none. that like when, when, a, when a Democrat elected official takes off their mask for photos, COVID can't spread. It can... It can spread when you walk into the restaurant, not when you're sitting at the table. But, just think, but also children have to eat outside in silence when it's 30 degrees. That's just what the science is. The, th- the thing that I don't understand <laughs> about this is like take take them at their word. I know this is incredible and they're obviously performative liars, but take them at their word that they actually believe this, right? That toddlers need to be in masks yeah. to prevent the spread of COVID and they could just wear the mask in the photo. Like, why not just wear the mask in the photo? Exactly. They could just wear the mask in the photo, even if they don't actually believe it, right? They could just wear the mask in the photo. They choose not to wear the mask in the photo because they want to rub your nose in it. They want you to know that you can do fucking nothing. Nothing. And it doesn't matter. And I am a hypocrite. And I dare you to say anything about it. And I have the media. Because the media will say, they're seizing on it. Oh, we're seizing on it. We're seizing on it. We're seizing on it. This is somebody who wants to mask. This is child abuse. Yeah, you're ruining our kids' our kids. future. <laughs> and, and you're doing it with a smile on your right. goddamn face. Right. They want you to know you can do nothing about it. You it better, is, better do nothing. It's time to become ungovernable. Yes. Right? Support your conservatives. <sighs> Support your man. Listen, we've got a great interview that we have to get to. This is Karen Taylor Robson. She's running for governor of Arizona. I, I recently read, by the way, that one of her ads, she's she's tough on immigration, right? So she's running a bunch of, of ads on the border crisis. Arizona, that's obviously a real problem. There's a station down there, an FS1. I don't know if this is a national thing or just a local deal, but they pulled, you guys have to hear this. They pulled uh, Robson's ad because they said that the illegal immigrants that were depicted in her ad were actually illegal. And therefore she couldn't use them incredible think think about that they pulled her ad depicting illegal immigrants because they were actually illegal oh they couldn't prove it no they were illegal. they could prove <laughs> it that was the problem i mean what the f- make what it make kind sense. of world i make it make sense it's just incredible anyway this is this is karen i want to welcome to the program karen taylor robson she is running for governor in the great state of arizona welcome to the program thank you thank you josh glad to be here well, listen, I've been following the headlines out there. Obviously, Arizona, important state for all kinds of reasons. Um, and it's always just totally active politically here in the last few cycles. You read about it almost every day. But following your race a bit, it seems like you're on a little bit of a roll. You, you're raising an awful lot of money. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by a great team and they just kept telling me, you know, at the end of the day, you need fuel in the tank to win. And so we focused since we formally launched in September, I focus most of my time on raising money. You know, I'm a, a political newcomer to the arena and I didn't, you know, I didn't have a list 
to start with. So I had to build my list, build the grassroots support around me. And so I was very proud of, of our ability to raise money and, and from you know so many people. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's talk about your newcoming status uh, a little bit. Your background is sort of interesting. Why don't you give our listeners a little overview of who you are and where you came from? Well, I'm an Arizona native. I'm a lifelong Republican. In fact, I, I tell people that uh, my mother was a lifelong Democrat and um, read Barry Goldwater's Conscious of a Conservative in 1964. She changed her party registration to Republican and started uh, walking door to door for Barry Goldwater when uh, she was pregnant with me. So so I like to tell people I got I got my start in utero, <laughs> utero. So 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 try try and beat that. But um, <laughs> right from know, the beginning. Yeah. So anyway, I've, I have been a lifelong Republican, and and growing up, I was always the you know the class president and and what have you. I ended up as a student body president at Arizona State University, and then went to work for Ronald Reagan at the White House, which of course was a, uh, an honor of a lifetime. I worked for a couple of governors, but then I went to law school in the last um, nearly 30 years. I've been in the private sector. So, so, you know, I was, I, I grew up, you know, uh, around it, you know, with a family that, that really modeled, you know, giving back to the community. Um, and, and I was able to go have a very successful career and, and raise my four kids. Yeah. Let's talk about your career a little bit, because you are, you've had an incredibly successful business career and, I imagine that that has sort of uh, prepared you for what you're undertaking now. What are the lessons that you've taken out of that career that you're now trying to apply in politics? Oh, I've, I've learned a lot. I mean, I've, I've worked since I was at, you know, five years old. I, I often say that I'm going to write a book about my parents for, you know, child abuse and child labor. I'm sure, you know, <laughs> they'd be thrown in jail today for, you know, all the work they made us do. But, you know, we, we learned a lot. I mean, I, I started out, you know, dusting shelves, taking out trash at, at my dad's drugstore. In fact, I think I was probably 10 years old when I was uh, walking around downtown Mesa delivering, you know, prescriptions to the shut-ins. I guess today you'd call that a, a drug mule. Um, but I learned a lot. You know, I learned, I learned the value of hard work and I have been immensely blessed with opportunities to work my whole life. And so my career in, in uh, the land use arena, you know, zoning and, and entitlement, uh, land use entitlement work, um, you know, I was sitting on the other side of the table from all levels of government, local government, state government, and uh, unfortunately, the federal government, which, by the way, is is so broken. I think it may be broken beyond repair at this point. But, it, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it it gave me, you know, a, a front row seat to uh, understanding the challenges of anybody, small businesses, uh, property owners, uh, the challenges they face in trying to to get anything done through the labyrinth of, of government bureaucracy. So I think, you know, I'll take all of those experiences uh, to the governor's office, um, you know, substantive experience, you know, you know, expertise in transportation, water, you name it, um, which prepares me well. But I will also say that, that, you know, the challenges ahead of us are far beyond, you know, building the next freeway. The challenges ahead of us are, you know, it's no secret. They're almost existential challenges to our country with the border being uh, completely overrun and, and Arizona's on the front lines of that um, that uh, invasion from the South. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second, because I know you've made that a big part of your campaign. And quite obviously at the federal level, uh, we've seen a, a complete failure to act by the Biden administration. I mean, Kamala Harris, the borders are doing a real bang up job. Um but it, you're, you're, as you said, on the front lines of all of this. You're dealing with all of it 
directly every single day. Um, what, what, what have you been down there? What's your observations? I've been down there multiple times because, you know, depending on what channel you turn on, you get a completely different view of what's going on. So I just decided I've got to go see it myself. And as a conservative Republican, the border is, has been traditionally one about national security and our you know, sovereignty. If we don't have a border, we don't have a country. But when you go down there and you witness what's going on, I mean, it is a human tragedy. And, you know, I've got ads running right now that that uh, highlight the crisis at the border and the failure of, of Biden. And I've had people call and say, you've got to take those border ads down. And I, you know, I ask, have you been down there? Have you seen it? If you go down there, you have to you have to admit the human tragedy going on. And that's why Kamala Harris won't go there. I mean, if you go down there and you see a rape tree, try and get that out of your mind. Yeah, she, right. You know, if she went down there. She would have to look and she would have to realize that the human trafficking, the sex trafficking, you know, the fact that we have allowed the cartels to run our border, you can't, you can't go down there, witness it, and then deny it. Right? Yeah. I, mean, well, I, I know you've, so you've had, you've had some endorsements from former governors. I know Jam Brewer, uh, Fife Symington and others. I'm wondering if you've talked with people, other border governors, past or present, about what you can do. Like, what you know, so much of this falls on the federal side, but I know that, Governor Abbott, for example, is working hard every day in Texas to try to do what they can do from a state level. Have you formulated some thoughts on what you can do to, to solve this problem? Yeah. And you said it, you know, this is a federal problem. Um, and quite frankly, you know, you have to you have to either assume the Biden administration is incompetent or they know what they're doing. And you know, while, you know, we can argue about the competence of our president. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm signing me up for number one, but there's, there's heavy complacency on number yeah. two. How about that? But there's so many people around him that you have to assume are, you know, relatively intelligent. So I, I then conclude that this is purposeful and it's working just as they planned. Um, and, and therein lies the problem. But um, it is a federal pro uh, issue and, and Congress and you know, it's just failed for 40 years to do anything. But there are a lot of things that governors can do. And I think working together, uh, we're going to have to solve it because it's not just a Arizona or a Texas problem. This is it's really a 50 state border war. We just happen to be on the front lines. Yeah. And, you know, we can we can put additional National Guard, you know, at the border. We will surge the National Guard. And I have committed that the first thing I do after taking the oath of office is call our legislature into session so that we can find the resources we need to continue to construct the wall where we can. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we have to utilize technology. You know, we've got drones and fiber optics and cameras and all sorts of things that will, um, you know, in coordination will help to secure the border. And I will also use my bully pulpit to just say, look, if you if you want to enter this country illegally, go somewhere else. You're not coming through Arizona because you're not not going to be welcome. Well, I um, like that. That's that's it, solid messaging from a governor of Arizona. I. As a graduate of Arizona State University myself, I can say that the border wars in my era were all the other way. It was all of us going to Nogales, which, frankly, <laughs> the Mexicans didn't want any part of. But now, right. now you've got a, a huge mess on your hands, and and I'm, I appreciate the fact that you put some thought into it because I don't think you're going to get any help from the Biden administration anytime soon. No, and and I I do want to point out now that you know as we're learning more and more about the people that are crossing. Um, you know, they're coming from over 100 countries and the number of migrants coming from Mexico and, the, and, and Central America is, is dropping. 
you know, it's the it's it's the people coming from Yemen and and other countries that are hostile to America that I'm That's worried right. about. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know. No, I mean, there was news last week of, of five Syrians that were caught yeah. crossing the wall. I mean, it's just, it's, it's it, it, that, the national security implications, obviously the economic implications, and then also the drug implications, right? I mean, I'm, well, I'm sure you're having a ton of that too. Yeah. You know, on the drug side, let me just talk about that because that's another, you know, I, I, I try and connect dots for people uh, because, you know, so many people are either just not paying attention or don't want to. Um, I've served as a civic leader to the United States Air Force Chief of Staff for uh, since 2005. Um, and so we've, you know, they've had me all over the world. We've, you know, my last major trip with them was to the uh, Pacific Command and learned a lot. This was now two years ago, just before COVID, a lot about China and what's going on. And when you look at the fact that the Chinese are providing the precursor ingredients to fentanyl to the Mexican cartels, and the Mexican mm-hmm. cartels are delivering it to a neighborhood near you. We're at war and we don't, you know, a lot of people don't want to admit it or they don't want to hear about it. But, you know, we lost 100,000 Americans to fentanyl overdose last year. And I just mm-hmm. asked people if, if an adversary dropped a bomb on an American city and killed 100,000 people, would we sit back and let it happen or would we do something? And yeah. yet it's happening. And, you know, everybody's reticent to call it what it is, but I'll, I'll call it what it is. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point. And it also stands in contrast with the way we've handled COVID, right? I mean, (laughs) if you look at the two epidemics, one a pandemic globally, obviously, but what's happening with opioids and what's happening with fentanyl in our country, you're taking numbers of lives that sort of rival it, right? That's right. You know, drug, drug overdoses are now the leading cause of accidental death in America. Yeah. Oh, geez. It's, it really is a huge problem. Um, let's talk about some other issues that are affecting your race. Obviously, we saw in Virginia with Governor Glenn Youngkin capitalize significantly on Democrats' failure to address all parents' concerns as it, as it relates to education, right? Whether it be right. COVID policy, masking policy, mandatory vaccination policies, uh, or the curriculum, CRT and, and the like. How much of that is is resonating in Arizona? Oh, it, it's a big deal. And, you know, if, if there was a silver lining at all with COVID, it's that parents now, you know, came face to face with what their kids are learning or what they're not learning. Right. And, you know, when I'm governor, our kids are going to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. They're not going to be taught to like hate it. their country and they're not going to be taught to hate the kid next to him because he or she has a different color skin. No, you know, like it's it. crazy. This this you know, grand experiment in self-government called America is something that, you know, in the words of Ronald Reagan, you know, it's not passed down through our bloodstream. We have to continue to teach it. And, and, you know, parents have now woken up to the fact that that that's not being taught and, and we will lose it if we don't um, make amends quickly and, and make sure that our schools are, are teaching America, you know, the real American history, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but, we got to. We have to address this um, uh, issue front, you know, front on, head on. I, mm-hmm. you know, you go back to the history of public education in America, and and at the outset, public schools were designed to teach students, teach our kids how to become citizens in a self-governing society. And somehow along the way, we've lost that. Mm-hmm. So we we got to get back to that. Yeah, no, it's absolutely right. I like to hear it. Um, so obviously, this race is a big one, 
And Arizona, it always puzzles me how you end up with August primaries, but you do. And I mean, it is like the least fortunate thing for anybody who's in your situation who's running in a primary and then needs to turn around and try to figure out how to do a 60-day sprint after you've you know laid it all out to win a primary. Let's talk about the first component, the primary. You have an opponent. Um, where What's the state of the race from your perspective? Well, there's actually, there's now four. We had five people in the race. There's now four. Um, and I believe we have got a, a great lane to swim in. Uh, as I said at the outset, we we raised a lot of money from a lot of people, and we're continuing to do so. It's it's interesting, you know. I spent months calling people, you know, asking for fundraisers and and asking people to write checks. And just in the last few weeks, people are now calling me. You know, can oh, we? Oh, that's a good sign. That's yeah. a good sign. It's a real good sign. And and when the financial reports came out, you know, the, our first reporting period was at the end of the year, and um, you know, people just took a look at what what my opponents were doing. One of my opponents. Her burn rate was 70, 75%. Another was, that, opponent, was that the, the Carrie Lake? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she raised all this money and then, you know, she spent it on things like boots, new set of <laughs> tires, paying her daughter, um, you know, nice restaurants and hotels and over 50,000 at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, um, you know, as one reporter put it, you know, this her, her finance report was like a, a treasure trove. He said, it's Christmas morning in January. <laughs> uh, it must you know, be some nice boots, though. Yeah, I can't even nice imagine. Right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so and, and my, other, my other opponent spent 50%. So, you know, I had a much lower burn rate at 19%. I had a lot more money in the bank and we started spending it. We, you know, my challenge is name ID and uh, we're now up on the air and we will continue as long as we need to. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we all know results matter. And I think when you look at what I've accomplished in, in my last 30 years and what my opponents have accomplished, I win hands down. You know, the one thing I don't know how to do, as one of my opponents does, is read a teleprompter. Um, you know, she's really good at it. And I, and I give her credit for, you know, being really good in front of a camera. Uh, I'll figure that out, I'm sure. But, you know... My teleprompter's in my head and in my heart. And, um, you know, the other technical skill of teleprompters will will come. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, listen, you're doing this for the first time. Is there, what about this process has either surprised you or, you know, otherwise been noteworthy? Well, a couple of things. Number one, campaigns are extremely sophisticated, very data-driven. Um, but at the end of the day, people have to like you. And I have been having an awful lot of fun out on the trail, meeting people, talking to people. Um, and, and quite frankly, I enjoy engaging with people that I disagree with. Um, and, and so I and I enjoy learning. I'm learning a, a heck of a lot. And, um, you know, learning to listen too, to, to to people from from all walks of life, all stages of life. Uh, and I can tell you that everybody is as concerned about our future as I am. And, and quite frankly, with what's going on in Washington and, and, you know, coming out of the Biden administration, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Quite worried for our kids. Yeah. No question about it. Um, uh, You know, from the outside looking in at Arizona and that granted, this is, this is sort of a federal perspective in a lot of ways, what happened in, in 2020, both in, in Arizona and Georgia, seem to sort of split the parties into to you know sort of different pieces right and so the mm-hmm. whole goal 
I imagine for you and for you know a number of other candidates, both on the federal side and and on the state side, is try to bring that back together. Clearly, Arizona has gone through some trauma with audits and all kinds of different things. But uh, I'm curious from your perspective, where do you think Arizona Republicans are in that process? Do you think the party will be united sooner rather than later and, and eventually be able to get over the top in 2022? Well, um, I'm confident we'll, we'll win um, this year. Uh, you know, there's a lot of work ahead of us. And of course, you know, election integrity and voter confidence is critical to our democracy, right? And and it's not just you know Republicans that are concerned across the board. I mean, go back to 2016 when you know uh, Hillary Clinton thought she won, and Stacey Abrams still thinks she's the governor, and <laughs> right. So so yeah, it, it cuts right. both ways. But I think it's incumbent on all of us to always like continual process improvement. We have to take what we've learned, make improvements, and continue to make improvements with every election. Um, our legislature is, you know, there's several bills working its way through, working their way through our legislature. And, and you know, my assumption is we're going to have some process improvement and we have to continue that. But I'll also say that I am squarely focused on on looking ahead in the next battlefield. You know, any any good general will tell you to get off, you know, get off the last battlefield before everyone's dead and focus on the next battlefield. And, you know, you regroup, you retool, you re-strategize. Um, and you focus on the next victory. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm focusing on on uh, this fall's election. Yeah, I think that's where the, the majority of voters are across the country as well. Um, definitely enough challenges on our plate to focus on so as not to have to look in the rearview mirror the whole time. I will say, though, in, in terms of, of future, anything anybody can do to improve Maricopa County's counting, my God, I've never seen I've never seen a county so slow. At counting ballots. It's just unbelievable. Well, we, you know, we, like I said, we've learned some things, you know, in Arizona, we, you know, we need, I believe, a uniform requirement for all of our 15 county county recorders to have to, you know, routinely maintain our voter rolls. I mean, you know, to me, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to <laughs> figure out a way to, to, you know, not send ballots to people who have died or, or who have moved, you know, it seems pretty remedial. <laughs> sure does. Sure does. Uh, I love it. Um, let's quickly talk about the economy in your state. Obviously, nationwide, we've had a huge inflation problem. Um, you hear the Biden administration sort of bragging about jobs created after they laid everybody off during the pandemic and people, some people get to come back to work. Uh, and evidently, that's a success. I haven't seen in that. I don't think most Americans feel that way. Uh, how are things in Arizona? Well, you know, we're not immune from what's going on. You know, the, the supply chain issues are s- slowing everything down. You go to the grocery stores and the, the, the shelves are, you know, emptying out. I was there a couple of days ago. There was no milk. I'm like, really? Uh, <laughs> no yeah. milk. But, um, you know, Arizona's economy has done relative to everyone else uh, quite well. We had, you know, back in 2008 during the Great Recession, we, we took an unusually hard hit because our, our economy was so dependent on a couple industries. And so there was an awful lot of people, myself included, working very hard to help diversify Arizona's economy. And now we've got, you know, we've attracted so many different industries, you know, electric vehicle manufacturing, semiconductors, um, advanced manufacturing. We, we just have, you know, uh, our governor and, and a lot of folks working together have really made that a reality. Now, that being said, we have a lot of work to do when it comes to our education system, because if we don't improve 
our education system, we're not going to be able to fill the jobs that all of these, you know, great new industries are, are providing for us. So, um, you know, we'll, the next governor will have a lot to do and, and in the way of, of education, education and workforce development and making sure that our, our citizens are prepared to, to fill those jobs. Well, you can count on the Sun Devils at Arizona State University, Ms. Yes. Robson. I can I can assure you they are up to the task. <laughs> yeah, I did. I didn't realize you went to ASU. Oh yeah, yeah. No, they don't brag about it, but I was there. All I was right. Well, I was definitely there. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, my my daughter met you and Smug in December. Oh, um, uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Oh yes, absolutely. I remember in Nevada. Yes, in Nevada, and she she uh, she had to tell me all about it. And so, as soon as she did, I had to I had to start listening to you guys. So, oh, I love that. That's great. <laughs> well, you you should be a very proud mom. She was an absolutely yes. terrific person to yes. meet. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Listen, I got three big questions okay. for you, and these ones are these are the ones that the minions focus on, right? Okay. All this other stuff is kind of like that's important, but these are the real big ones. Okay. So, if you could plan your last meal on Earth. What would it be? Well, I've I've actually thought about that for years, uh, planning my last meal. It would be a well-toasted English muffin with Irish butter and Skippy <laughs> peanut butter and a big glass of milk. And uh, the Skippy peanut butter is a funny uh, story. My mother went to school with Skippy. and The actual mother- Skippy? The actual Skippy in <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska. There okay. was some national national uh, contest to name this new peanut butter, and his mother sent his name in. So now every time I see that Skippy peanut butter jar, I think of my mother. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good story. <laughs> well, you're going in kind of light. I got to say, like that's a. It's not. <laughs> Totally healthy, but it's more, it's healthier than most answers we get on the variety <laughs> program. So appreciate that. All right. Um, second question. And this is a little different from you because you are a newcomer to politics, but let's do this because you've had intersections of, of public service in your career. Let's say if you never got into um, sort of the intersection of, of, of politics and business and and philanthropy and and that kind of thing. If you had a wide open hole in your life based on your after your business career, and you weren't doing anything else, what would you want to do? Well, I would actually go back to doing what I've done for the last thirty years because I enjoy it so much. I, I've never considered it at work. I'm I'm passionate about help helping people create value with with their private property and and navigating the government. So. And I've also, I'll probably never retire. It's just not who I am. I'll I'll work (laughs) every day, but um, I will also uh, perfect my skills as a new grandmother. I have a a grandbaby that's four months old. Oh, congratulations. Can't get enough of him. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Four months old, you still manageable. I've got a year and a half year old and a four year old. And I got to tell you, that is, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you you know it well, but boy, it's a trick. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All right. So final question, and this is a little esoteric, but uh, it goes to what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And one way of looking at, like nobody likes defeat, right? But one one way of looking at that side of the coin is there are people who don't ever really get a lot out of victory, right? Their greatest Mm -hmm. victories in life last about five minutes and every defeat they've ever experienced, they carry around with them in a backpack. 
And yeah. that that's what motivates them going forward. So that's the agony of defeat side. Thrill of victory side's kind of easy to to explain. It's basically your sunny optimist charging up the hill, you know, always uh, to a new frontier. Where do you find yourself on the spectrum? Well, I think you're right in your your tee up there. You remember Roger Staubach, who was in, I think, six Super Bowls, and he 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 won three and lost three, I think, and he said. You know, I, I never learned anything in the ones I won. I learned everything in the in the in the Super Bowls we lost. So there's a lot to be said about that. But I have always been motivated by winning. Um, you know, when I was actively practicing law, I, I never lost a case. In fact, um, you know, I'd go in front of city councils. So there's typically seven people on a council, and if I came out with a six-one or a five-two vote, I felt like I didn't. I missed something, right? I, I liked <laughs> unanimous victories. Yeah. Um, and of course, my my clients liked like those victories as well. And, and and obviously, a lot of benefits come from from winning. I, I ended up with a just a very successful you know list of clients that wanted me to to win for them. Um, but I'll, I have to tell you that why I'm running for governor is my fear of of our country failing. I mean, I can't look at my kids and 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 say you know I could have done something and I didn't. And and yet watching our freedoms be taken away so rapidly. Um, I, 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 that's motivating me right now is the fear of losing America. Mm, mm, absolutely. Well, listen, Karen Robson, where do we find you? If people want to help you out, what's your website? My website is Karen for And Karen is a little unique. It's spelled K A R R I N for Arizona.com. All right. Listen, good luck out there. Stay in touch. Keep us updated. And, uh, Boy, we need some political success in the great state of Arizona. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Josh. Thank you so much, Karen. Bye-bye. So she's an interesting candidate, right? I mean, look, Arizona is an incredibly important state this election cycle, not just for the governorship there, which it's an important governorship to have. Because in this immigration discussion, if you don't have border state governors that actually understand the problem, you'll never solve it. Because every time a Democrat president has the ability to point to one sort of leftist lib and say, well, that person doesn't agree. The policy doesn't get done. They can't get overrun. Right. So it's really important that we have border state governors that get this problem. So so that's super important. We also have an important Senate race. It's an important political state, something everybody ought to look get uh, looking into immediately. I'm glad we had her. Yeah, well, I mean, that was an absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Outstanding work, everybody. Uh, thank you so much to our sponsors. Thank you so much to our guests. And thank you to our listeners. I'm loving seeing these numbers keep going up. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lids. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless. Stay ruthless.